All right, who's ready, who's ready for the Word of God? <clears throat> Friday, not Friday gone, but the Friday before, Friday morning early, I woke up after I had a dream. And <clears throat> this, this was the dream. And so we were here at church, on the church premises, and we were building... How many know that you're called to be builders? You didn't realize this, but in, in the dream, you were all actually physically working. It was a bit like the working bee where everybody had come together and everyone had a part to play. And we're all here on the premises working, physically building a, a building. And there was a lot of activity, a lot of action going on. It was amazing. And then... <clears throat> we were actually framing together some pieces of timber for this structure. And to do that, we were using drills. Um, any women here, just turn off for a moment if this is boring you. Um, but drills excite me. Um, anyway, we were using drills, and there's a little bit on the end of a drill called an impact bit. And it's what you use to drive screws in wood. And we are all doing this and building this structure, building this building, and all of a sudden, these impact bits started to fail. They started to break. And that's not a big deal because you just go get another one and you keep working. All of a sudden, we had run out. It's like, oh, everybody's impact bits are breaking. And in the dream, somebody came to me and said, what are we going to do? And I said, it's easy. We'll just go to Bunnings and buy some more. It's not a big problem. They're a small little part of the drill and it'll help us to keep working. Somebody said, didn't you realize the Bunnings are totally out of all these impact drill bits? I was like, are you serious? And then someone else overheard our discussion and come up and said, no, 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 it's actually more serious than that. There's actually no impact drill bits left in the country. And we were standing there thinking, are you serious? And so this moment where this little bit that goes on the end of a drill that you use to drive in a screw was gone, all the work ceased. And we're all standing around scratching our head as to what we were going to do, and then I woke up. And as I laid there in the bed on Friday, early on Friday morning, the Lord started to speak to me about being prepared. If you see the graphic behind us, how many know that if you can see there, that's actually foundations. It's actually the foundations of a large building. How many know that there's nothing glamorous about that? There's rusted bits of steel. There's concrete that isn't finished right. There's slop and there's mud down in there. There's water sitting in there. And sometimes this is, a, this, is, this is preparation. This is foundations. And so for the next couple of months, we're actually going to be emphasizing, looking into how we prepare ourselves for what God wants to do next. And maybe you're like me when I woke up and had this dream and the Lord started to speak to me. I said, Lord, are we still on foundations? Are we still on preparations? And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, oh, seriously, we've got to go through a couple of months more on this. There's nothing glamorous about this. Sometimes it's looking over material that has become very familiar. 
But yes, I'd like to say this morning we are still in a season of preparation. Sometimes that season feels like it goes for a while. In 2018, the Lord led myself and Rachel and our family overseas and that was the start of a season of stripping back everything down to its foundation. And the Lord started to repair foundations. How many know He's still repairing foundations? I feel as a church we're in a season where the Lord is still preparing us. Sometimes we're like, oh, are we doing this again? This is not glamorous. This is like working there in the slop. This is like, you know, ugly concrete and rusted steel. It's like, yes, this is what the Lord is calling us to do. And sometimes preparation, sometimes foundations take some time. How many know that the longer the foundation, the more the Lord can build upon it? If you feel like you're in a season of foundations of preparation, be excited this morning because what that means is the Lord is so, so committed to your foundation and to the building that He's about to build upon you. The last road construction project I did, it took about two years. And when the project was finished, people drove past it and said, seriously, you spent two years working on that? That is because 95% of the work you don't see. It's actually hidden now. It's actually hidden by a very small layer of a black thing called asphalt. Everything is hidden. All the drainage, all the structure, all the comms, all the electrical, everything is hidden by a small layer of thing we drive on called asphalt. There's nothing glamorous necessarily about a foundation, but I believe the Lord is leading us into a season of preparing our foundations for what He wants to do next. The crazy thing is that we spend a lot of time sometimes with our foundations, but how many know the building can be built very quick on a firm foundation? On a foundation that's strong, that can hold the weight, all of a sudden, the foundations, the preparation feels like it's going on for time, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even years. And then it seems sometimes like overnight the building is built. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. And as the Lord began to speak to me on Friday morning, as I was laying in bed, he started to emphasize this parable that I'm about to read out now, Matthew chapter 25. It's a parable of the ten virgins. And he started to speak to me about preparing ourselves for what the Lord is about to do. I'm going to start reading at verse 1 down to verse 13. It says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, 
and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go go buy to those who sell oil and get it for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others came also and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is a parable that Jesus spoke, and while you're just allowing that parable to stay in your minds, I want you to do something difficult, at least difficult for for most of the men here. And that's we're going to jump to another parable. And we're going to have a look at a point there. So you don't have to turn your Bibles here, but I'm going to to Matthew chapter 13. So if you can, still try and keep this parable about the ten virgins in your mind. We're now going over to Matthew chapter 13. Now I'm not going to, we're not going to look at this parable in depth, but there is one point I want to make about the parable in Matthew chapter 13. Then we're going to jump back to Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus spoke a parable, another story about a farmer who's sowing seed. And what he says is, he says, there's a farmer that throws seed around. Some falls on the path, some falls on gravel, some falls in, 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 a thorn, in thorns, and some falls on good soil, and it reaps a harvest. But then, then what he says is fascinating. After that, he says, if you have ears, hear what... What is, what is being said? He who has ears, let him hear. And straight after that, it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? This is how the Passion Translation writes it. It says, Why do you always speak to people in those hard-to-understand parables? Verse 11, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Just think this through for a moment. Verse 12 says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak in parables. Verse, that same verse in the Passion Translation says this, For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they have will be taken from them. I'm going to try and paraphrase a few points here and and land at one point, and then we're going to get back to Matthew chapter 25. Here Jesus is speaking to a crowd He brings a parable, a story about a farmer. 
it's most certain that most people don't understand what he's talking about. The disciples come to him and say, Jesus, why do you often talk in these unique stories, these mystic stories, these symbolic stories, these parables? And he says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to some groups, but not the others. What he, what he is saying here is that, and verse 12 goes on to say that, those who listen with an open teachable heart will have understanding. What he's saying here is, those who are hungry and humble will actually be positioned to receive the revelation. In other words, Jesus was talking, this is my paraphrase now, he was talking in code so that those who are hungry and humble would actually receive the mysteries, the revelation of the kingdom, but those who weren't would leave just thinking he was talking about seed. I'll say it in this way. I'm sure there was many people on that day that when they went home around the dinner table, they said, hey, what did you do today? And they said, wow, we, we were with a crowd of people and we heard Jesus speak. Oh, what did he speak about? And they said, oh, this is fascinating. We didn't realize, but Jesus is actually into horticulture. He's actually got a really green thumb. This is fascinating. We might be able to use some of these strategi strategies on how to broadcast seed to help our crops. How many know that there's, there's many people that would have left thinking that was the message of Jesus? But it's only those who come with this position of a hungry and humble heart that actually receive the revelation, the true message of what he's saying. So let's go back to, actually before we do, remember this. God doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. God doesn't hide things from us, but he actually hides things for us. He hides things for us, revelation for us, that in the digging, in that posture of, of humility and hunger, that childlike faith, that we actually receive the revelation. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 25. So as we come to this, another parable. I would like to say this morning that the context is around the end times. There's no, there's no denying that. The context of this parable, Jesus is warning. He's giving warnings. He's giving some observations. Um, this parable is sandwiched between things talking about the end times. And although it's a great passage to confirm our, our end time um, our, our views about things, I believe this morning that the Lord wants to speak to us as Hope Point Church in this season and prepare us for what is to come. Who agrees? This parable about the ten virgins is about a marriage, is about a wedding celebration. And... For us to hear a parable, a story like this, and make sense of it is difficult because how many know that in our culture, we can actually casually go down to the, to, to the celebrant office 
And I think it's within half an hour we can be married, walk out with a marriage certificate. There might be a few other steps, but essentially it's, it's not a difficult process. But here in the Jewish culture, in the time of Jesus, marriage was totally different. There was quite a few more steps. Step number one was that the groom would actually go and have negotiations with the bride's family. Those negotiations, those discussions included actually paying the family to take this woman to become his wife. It was a dowry. And at that moment, that's when the covenant was formed. We, we have an engagement period. But that's when the covenant was formed. How many know that the bride and the groom didn't just sail off into the sunset happily ever married after then? That was just the beginning of a number of other steps. And there was a few other steps that happened and all of a sudden then the groom would actually disappear. The groom would go and do some preparations. In the Jewish ancient times, the groom would actually, once this covenant was made, once the arrangements was made, once the cost was paid, he would disappear and go and build a house. How many blokes are glad that you don't have to do that anymore? There was no DIY on YouTube to build a house. These poor blokes had to go and build a house before they could then get married. And so off they would go, they would start building a house. How many know that the bride had no clue about when the groom was going to return? It could take months, but most commonly it would at least be about around 12 months or even after it, more than a year it would take. And you've got to remember that this wasn't in the times of mobile phones. There was no FaceTime. There was no Snapchat. There was, th th there was nothing like this. There was not even any GPS tracking on your spouse. Literally, the, the, the groom would go away and prepare a place and the bride would wait. The bride would prepare her affairs and would be living still in her parents' home, but would wait, not knowing when the groom would come back to take her to be with him. It's interesting. Imagine being the bride and waking up every day saying, is this the day? Is this the day? But the point being is that the bride had to be prepared because this could be the day. And when the groom had finally finished the building of the house with some of his, maybe some of his friends, they would all come together and they would, and, and they would come and find the bride. There would be a shout that the bridegroom has returned. And all of a sudden, the bride, and, and we read here, most scholars sort of believe that when Jesus is talking about these 10 virgins, he's probably talking about the bridesmaids or this group of people that were with the bride. But the point being that there was a group of people that had to be ready for the groom to return. I believe wholeheartedly that this passage is talking about the return of Christ. There's no doubt about it. The context is all around 
when Jesus returns and us being ready. But I want to dig a little bit deeper this morning into this parable and see what else the Lord would have to speak to us as Hope Point Church, as Hope Point Family for this next season to be prepared for what God would want us to do. It's interesting that in this parable, Jesus talks about the fact that they had to have what? Lanterns and oil. There was 10 virgins and the only difference between them was that five of them had oil, five of them didn't. The 10 were all virgins, they were all holy, they were all pure, they were all set apart. They all had lamps. They all had the same opportunity. They all fell asleep funnily enough. But the only difference between what the Bible says foolish and wise was that one group had oil and one group didn't have enough. It's interesting in this story that once the bridegroom came, there was no ability to get prepared. There was no ability to say, run and go, okay, now I believe, so now I'm going to go get oil. The people that thought that for whatever reason they didn't have oil actually missed out. And this morning, the challenge for me personally, as I laid in bed on Friday morning and the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, the challenge for me was, hey, we can't just wait for the move of God to come. We actually have to be prepared. There's actually things personally in my life that I have to do to prepare for the very move of God that is coming. Let's not be a group of people. Let's not be a person. Let's not be a church that actually misses the move of God because he was waiting for us to be prepared. And we, we for whatever reason, we didn't have the oil to host this next move of God. See, it's important when you prepare. It's important when you prepare. As I started to look at this parable, I I felt the Lord speak two particular things, and and that's where we're going to land today. How many know that they all had lamps? In the Bible, lamp speaks about the Word of God. In Psalms, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's other scriptures that symbolize this lamp being the Word of God. And the other thing that this group of of, of ladies were required to have was oil. And we know that oil speaks about what? The Holy Spirit. I would like to propose that that many times if you've been in church for a little while, there has been distinctions in groups. There's been the people that are the word people and people that are the spirit people. And sometimes we think, okay, what am I? Let me just fit into one of these categories. I would like to propose this morning that it isn't like either, it's actually both. If we want to be prepared for what God is going to do next, we're going to have to be people that embrace the ministry of the word and the ministry of the spirit. In this story here, these, these group of, of, of people actually didn't embrace 
or half of them didn't embrace the ministry of the Spirit, the oil. And as we dig a bit deeper in this parable, we can see that not only is it talking about end times and being prepared, but I believe the Lord is also wanting to encourage us and challenge us in these areas to hold both of these in tension, both of these together to be prepared and see, to, to, to be able to host this next move of God. Sometimes we see word people as people that study the word, they're articulate, they're intellectual, and that's great. And sometimes we see spirit people as people that just, you know, they're always lying on the floor. They're just no use. Like, just. I would like to say this morning that both are necessary. Both are necessary. There's no denying that the Word of God is the most powerful thing on this planet. The Word of God has the potential. It has everything in it to bring power and change. But unless we read it, unless we, we allow it to uh, infect our life through, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul actually says the letter kills. If we don't read the Scriptures to find the author, all we're going to do is become more religious. The whole purpose of reading the Bible is to have an encounter with the author. I'm just going to ask if the worship team can come up, come up now. I would encourage you this morning to embrace both of these elements. The ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit. They were never meant to be separated. I encourage you to get alone, and we've said this before, get alone with this book and allow the words of the page to get inside of you. Allow the Spirit to bring life to it because He will. But it is possible to take this book without the Spirit of God and it's just dead. Something that has this much power and potential, it is possible for it to just make us more religious to a point where just like the Pharisees, when they knew this thing inside out, when they could put a knife through it and tell you every, every word that that knife pierced, but yet when, when the very word was in front of them, they didn't recognize him. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. This word being filled with the Spirit, that word be filled actually is a verb it's a present tense verb, which means to do it regularly or do it continually. It means a continual place where we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. It was never meant to be a, a one-time outpouring in the book of Acts. We see later, a few chapters later, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. And so this morning, 
we're going to open up the front here for people that want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as I drop this mic, I'll be down there. And I know the prayer team are, are, are ready to come, but I know that I spoke to a lot of them and says, hey, we'll be out there first. Because how many know that we need an infilling of the Spirit of God? And this morning, if we want a journey, if we want to present ourselves, if we want to be ready for the very thing that God is about to do, we need the Word and we need the Spirit. This morning, church, let's not neglect the Spirit of God. Let's not neglect the, 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 the place and the, the, the value that we give to the Holy Spirit working in our life. Maybe if you're here this morning and you're like, hey, I've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've never been, had that gift of a heavenly language. I want to invite you to come out. We're going to have people that are going to pray with you, lead you into that experience, that free gift that the Father gives. I just believe already that the people that are sitting here, your heart's starting to burn for the Holy Spirit to blow afresh on you this morning. Don't wait, come straight down. The way we position our ourselves for an outpouring of Him is through hunger and is through humility.